0: Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalome, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at Des .org.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Today is Horticulture Day. I'm Charity Nebby only prune your oak trees during the dormant season. It is a rule that you have likely heard us talk about dozens of times on this very program. And today we'll talk about why it's so important as we explore the horrors of oak wilt. Chelsea Harbach is a plant disease diagnostician at the Plant and Insect Diagnostic Lab at Iowa State University. Hello, Chelsea.
2: Good morning, Charity.
1: Thank you so much for being here. And we talk about oak wilt all the time, but today we're going to get into specifics. So what is oak wilt?
2: So oak wilt is a disease that we'll see. We, well, it's actually only found in North America, more specifically in the United States, more specifically in the upper Midwest of the United States. And it's caused by a fungus called Bretziella fagacearum. It used to be Ceratocystis figaceerum, figi- but now it's Bretziella figaceerum. And this fungus, um, it leads to just a, a wilting symptoms in our oaks. And it's one that is also transmitted from tree to tree by um, uh, sap beetles. So that's where um, we, we're going to talk about pruning. Uh, thinking about those sap beetles uh, is... An important consideration when we're talking about oak wilt. So, when a tree gets infected with oak wilt, what happens? So, when the tree gets infected, it kind of depends on the type of oak that you have, because in general, the red oaks are more susceptible; will die more quickly compared to our white oaks. Uh, So. When a tree, when like a red oak gets infected, you'll start to see, um, it, it, it's it's a different kind of wilting symptom than you're probably used to in like your annual plants or your house plants, but it is a wilting symptom um, that you'll see uh, leaves kind of start to turn brown um, from the edges in um, and uh, and you'll see that kind of like in one area of the canopy first, and then it will progress um, depending on what kind of tree you've got, uh, progress through the canopy. And, um, and the tree will generally eventually end up just dying. Uh, the leaves will be brown, they'll fall off, and it won't leaf anymore. So you said red oaks are
1: more susceptible. Is this always fatal for red oaks?
2: generally yes uh red oaks um when they get uh when they get infected by uh serum um they typically will die um in as uh short or, like from like four four to seven months after getting infected wow and with white oaks what do we see so white oaks, um, they um, actually form these um, these structures in the tree called tyloses to kind of like cut off and um, either well, so it, it limits and slows the spread of the infection in the oak tree, and um, in doing so, you can kind of see oak or white oaks tend to live a little bit longer um, with. Um, with the oak wilt fungus. Um, But oftentimes they will still die. But there are some cases of uh, white oaks actually growing out of of a white oak or of a oak wilt infection.
1: So you talked about what happens when a tree becomes infected and we see the leaves getting brown. There are other things that can make your tree look like It might have oak wilt. How do you know if it's really oak wilt?
2: Well, the best thing to do is if you uh, suspect oak wilt, um, take pictures. uh, And if you can, um, yourself or contact an arborist to help you get a sufficient sample um, and send pictures and your sample to the Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic at Iowa State. And we have... um, a couple different diagnostic methods we use to try and figure out if the fungus is actually in your tree. Um, and once we figure that out, then we can provide, uh, you know, some management recommendations if warranted.
1: All right. So we, we know we're not supposed to prune outside of the dormant season. Explain why that's so important.
2: Well, so if you're, um, if you're Pruning when the tree is actively growing, when it is awake, um, you're, you know, in, in essence, kind of like damaging that tree. And if you don't, um, it, like if you don't apply some like paint over the, the wound or injury, um, the, the tree gives off um, es- essentially kind of like smells that the, uh, the sap beetles are attracted to. And so, if you are attracting sap beetles that might have been feeding on an infected oak tree, you have you're kind of increasing your chances or increasing the likeliness that uh, your trees might become a feast for uh, sap beetles that are carrying the fungus from one tree to another. So it's very important to uh, to prune during the dormant season, so that way. You don't get those kind of smells that attract the picnic or the sap beetles. And also like the sap beetles just generally aren't going to be active during the dormant season either. All right. So it's kind of twofold.
1: And the dormant season is right now. <laughs> how how yes. much time do we have? Um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of snow on the ground and a lot of Iowa right now. And going out and pruning an oak tree this weekend might not seem very practical. But our window is closing.
2: Our window is closing. So um, generally the recommendation is to get pruning done prior to April. And then um, I've seen like some mixed messaging that like, you know, maybe you're safe to start pruning again in July. But it's really better just to like wait until that tree goes completely dormant. So really your window to prune is like November to March. All right. And it's a it's a great
1: early spring task to take care of when you can't do anything else right
2: yep yep
1: all right it's but pruning and and pruning only during the dormant season that's not the only important thing to think about when you're thinking about the long-term health of your oak trees so let's talk about some of the other things that are important to think about
2: well so You know, I think we kind of have um, like an aging population of oaks in Iowa. Um, You know, oaks can can live for hundreds of years, yes. But as as with like any living organism, as they get older, they become like essentially kind of like more susceptible to different things that might uh, increase the rate of their decline. So um, if you have an oak tree that you love, and it is not, um, it's not being affected by any pathogens that you know of, one of the best things you can do is just, um, you know, really take care of that tree, you know, water it, make sure it's getting its nutrients. Um, And that's a really good way to just kind of make sure that that tree is as healthy as it can be, um, which can um, then, you know, help with uh, maybe like, if you have a white oak that gets infected, if it's as healthy as it can be, you're going to have you know a better chance of like stopping the spread or slowing the spread of the fungus if you get a positive identification. If you have
1: to remove an oak tree, what kind of precautions should you take to make sure that you are not infecting other trees in the area?
2: This is a big one. So if you have an oak tree that... Um is either like well really just like if you're removing an oak tree for any reason but especially if you're removing an oak tree because it has if you found uh, your tree has oak wilt there's a couple things to consider so you'll want to make sure that you do um, something called trenching um, and that is an effort it, and if you it's If you have um, an oak tree that's next to, um, you know, the oak tree you're cutting down, this is very important because um, oak trees can form these root grafts from one tree to another, which creates another avenue through which the fungus can move from one tree to another. And as soon as you cut a tree down, um, those roots continue to live for, for some time. And so the fungus can move um, even faster from one tree to another through the roots. So by doing this, uh, this trenching, um, it kind of severs those root grafts, uh, to, to prevent the spread. The other thing is, is you would want to make sure that you treat the, um, treat the trunk that is left behind, um, to make sure that, um, you don't introduce or, you know, leave this opening for these sap beetles to bring the fungus in and, um, then the fungus can move through the root grafts and um, and infect other trees. Now, we only have about a minute left,
1: and we love oak trees. I mean, it's our official state tree. Mm-hmm. They're so beautiful. They're so important to the ecosystem in Iowa. They're so important to our cultural heritage. When yep. when you have an elderly oak tree and you want to make sure that you always have an oak tree, I mean, it's uh, tempting, of course, to plant another. If you plant yes. a young oak tree, what should you think about with regard to your older oak tree and the health of that
2: young tree? Yeah, so you want to make sure that you um, give some distance between your oak trees, um, especially if you're planting the same kind of oak tree. Um, you want to give about 50 feet between trees so that way you can try and avoid that root grafting. Um, and also just because white oaks are um, in generally, generally more... Um, more resistant to uh, oak wilt, I would suggest uh, consider those white oak species instead of the red oak species.
1: All right. And there are a variety of white oak species, right?
2: Yeah. And they're all very beautiful. I actually like white oaks more than I like red oaks. Oh, controversial opinion.
1: Chelsea Harbach is a plant disease diagnostician at the Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic at Iowa State University. We've been talking about oak wilt, how to spot it, how to prevent it, and what to do to pre- make sure your trees stay healthy as long as possible. For more gardening information and tips, please subscribe to our Garden Variety newsletter. You can find out more at iowapublicradio.org garden. I'm Charity Nebbe.
0: Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville,
3: Zalame, Peleus and Melisande*, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org.
1: I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's Horticulture Day today with me, Chelsea Harbach. She is a plant disease diagnostician at the Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic at Iowa State University. Erin Style is also here, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. Hello, Erin.
0: Good morning.
1: And, of course, you can join the conversation with your questions about all the things you'd like to grow or grow better. Give us a call at 866-780-9100. 866 We've got lines open for you right now. You can also send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And we won't be here with a Hort Day next Friday, but then with March, it's back to weekly shows. And Aaron, I mean, we're so close to the growing season this time of year. It's it's very hard to wait, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and days like today, it doesn't feel like it's that uh, that close, but it's it's not too far
1: away. It's it's coming, and I my yes. my argument is if you're going to have a late season snowstorm, this one was not too bad a snowstorm to have. It's pretty out nope. there, mm-hmm. <laughs> so at least we have that. Plus, it gives us a little more time to um, prune our oaks. And as we get to questions here, let's talk a little bit of, about oak pruning. And uh, Chelsea and Aaron, you can both weigh in on this. Aaron, I know you you know a whole lot about oak pruning. We need to do it during the dormant season. When you look at one of your older oak trees, how do you decide, okay, this is something that I need to do this year?
0: So if you have any broken branches, uh, that certainly would be something that you would want to address first. Um, Especially on a mature tree, it's not uncommon to have a few branches that break out in storms or snow storms, that kind of thing. Um, And so pruning those out, cleaning up that cut is really beneficial. So that's usually where I start. Most mature oak trees don't need a ton of pruning. Most of the pruning happens early in the trees Life in your in your landscape, and you know you're pruning to get some nice branch architecture in the tree. That's well spaced branches that aren't, you know, no double leaders, that kind of thing. And then um, by the time it's mature, um, you're really just kind of doing, you know, oh, branch broke out, or one of these branches is a little lower than I want it to be uh, because I keep running into it with my, you know, while I'm walking around the yard or whatever. So um, that would really be the only time you end up doing a ton of pruning on a mature tree like that
1: all right and when we see a broken branch um i mean obviously we don't want it to be something that's dangerous that's going to fall and (laughs) hit somebody but is it important to to prune that out as opposed to letting nature take its course
0: so you can let nature take its course and nature will do a, a, a fine job of dealing with it but one of the things that's helpful is When a branch breaks out, not only do you want to remove, like, if it's still hanging in there, because that's just a a danger, but if there's a broken kind of end, cleaning up that end making essentially allows the wound to be smaller, and so it's easier and faster for the tree to seal it off. When you have this jagged edge hanging out there, uh, it takes a lot longer for the tree to seal off or close off that wound that was created so if we can get up there make a nice clean pruning cut not a flush cut we want to maintain that branch bark collar and the branch bark ridge those are two kind of um, uh, branch bark ridges where the looks like a little mountain range on the top of the where the branch comes into the trunk and the collar is kind of where it kind of swells up just a little bit when it attaches to the trunk we keep those things and we remove everything else. You leave a nice small opening or a nice small wound that can seal off nice and quickly.
1: All right. And of course, we've talked about this many times. We'll talk about it many times this year, I'm sure. Um, it used to be that we thought that when we had cut off a branch, we had to do something to help seal that wound. Yeah. And really, oak trees are your one exception to the rule that you they don't are. need to do this. <laughs> so, but during, during the non-dormant season, during the growing season, if you do have to cut a branch off an oak tree, what do you do to try to protect that tree from oak wilt?
0: Well, the easiest, the best thing to do is just use a simple latex paint. Um, I mean, it can be any color. If you wanted to be pink, you could be, but brown <laughs> and green blend in better. Um, black would work too. Uh, just a simple latex paint um, right out of the can. Paint just that part of the wound, and that's all you need. And oaks are the only tree we recommend that for. And again, it's because we're trying to not get those sap beetles attracted to that opening where they can inject that fungus that gets into the vascular system of the tree and and causes the damage that we see from oak wilt.
1: All right. You can join the conversation with your questions about oak trees or anything else. Give us a call at 866-780-9100 is the number to call, 866-780-9100. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And uh, I have this email from Andrew in Bettendorf. He says, this past weekend we had someone drive, well, pursued by the Iowa State Patrol, into our front yard around our side yard, and through our backyard. As you can imagine, oh. the vehicle left tire ruts approximately two to three inches deep throughout the yard. My question, do I leave these ruts until spring or tamp or flatten them down now that we've had relatively warm weather? They, they wrote this a couple days ago, obviously, mm. but when it warms yeah. up again, do they try to tamp that down if the ground is not frozen?
0: This sounds like a quite an exciting uh, yeah. <laughs> set of events here. <laughs> um so yeah there probably are some tire tracks that are kind of depressed in the soil i would not go out and tamp it down because you're just compressing or compacting even more um sometimes uh and you won't be able to do that now i mean the surface layer is, is frozen right now. yeah. Um, And so uh, the best thing to do would be to kind of wait till spring, wait till everything thaws out. Sometimes it'll even kind of even out on its own, depending on how deep it is. If it still hasn't evened out, um, you can add a little bit of topsoil if it's really bothering you. Um, Or you can do something like core aeration because it's going to be compacted anyway. Most people's yards benefits from core core aeration. That can help kind of um, loosen up the soil um, and hopefully allow that area to kind of recover. Um, if you do put down a little bit of topsoil because it is a fairly deep rut, then you will need to seed it, um, and April is a good time to do that. I mean, fall is the best time to sow grass seed, but uh, if you have to do it in spring, April is a decent time. So you'll want to follow it up with some seed.
1: All right. Well, and obviously Andrew's case is pretty unique, but a lot of us deal with this. If somebody parks on the lawn and it's muddy Mm -hmm. or if somebody if you have to bring in a big truck to do work. I mean, a lot of us have to deal with that that damage later on. Do you um, if you if you can't handle it? Um, and and you don't want to wait for fall, I mean, do you feel like spring is an okay time to deal with it, or or would you yes. prefer waiting for fall?
0: No, spring is an okay time to deal with it. And and um, certainly you'll want to sow grass seed than nothing at all, because if you don't put anything down, then the weeds will fill in. So um, uh, spring is, is just fine. And actually, normally... The winter time is a nice time to do stuff like tree work because the ground is frozen, and so you don't compact the ground quite as much, um, impacting tree roots and, and all of that stuff as you would, say, in the spring or even in the summer. Um, but, you know, if that top little layer gets warm um, and soft and then you do something like this, then yeah, you get those ruts.
1: Yeah, well, obviously, again, this was a pretty unusual situation. You can <laughs> yes. join the conversation with your questions, 866-780-9100. 866-780-9100. We've got a couple lines open for your calls right now. You can also send email to talk of Iowa at iowapublicradio.org. Here's a question from Steve in Mason City. How do perennials behave in the Deep South during the winter? How does that I compare with what I should expect when bringing uh, garlic chives indoors or lemon verbena, rosemary, thyme over the winter?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, some perennials, many of them behave very much the same way. They just might go dormant a little bit later in the season and come out of dormancy a little bit earlier than they would, you know, further north. Um And there are some perennials that won't actually do very well because they don't have a long enough dormancy period. One of the classic examples of this are tulips, Uh, tulips in Texas and Georgia, uh, the winters aren't cold enough they're not long enough and if they want tulips they have to go through a huge process of pre-chilling the bulbs and like coolers and planting it's like a whole thing tulips are a lot of work down there and up here you know they just kind of happen when we put them in the ground so sometimes being a little colder is just just okay (laughs) (laughs) but um much of the united states except for maybe uh kind of the southern tip of florida or maybe some parts of southern california it um, still has a dormant period, and those, so those plants go dormant just like they do here. It's just that dormancy period isn't quite as, as long.
1: 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Melissa in Anita says, We lost our gigantic old elm tree this season to elm bark beetle or Dutch elm disease. Can the beetle spread to other species of trees causing damage?
2: So that beetle is specific to the elm tree and the fungus that it carries is also specific to the elm tree. So you don't need to worry about that spreading to your other trees. Um, I would just be worried about if you had any other elm trees nearby. So that brings up an interesting question,
1: Chelsea, when we think about how Dutch elm disease just swept through all sorts of elm trees and, and wiped elm trees out in a lot of communities... Oak wilt has been more controlled with that, but is that a fear
2: that, that that's what we could be building toward? I think that is kind of the general fear. You know, we've um, we've kind of gone through um, these different periods of time. So like, you know, we, first we had um, uh, Dutch elm disease that kind of took away all our elm trees. Um, then we had chestnut blight. Um and uh, the emerald ash Borer, and I think that, you know, oak Wilt is kind of the one that everyone's like, oh no, this is like the next big one that we really need to worry about, because we've lost a lot of trees to a lot of diseases and pests. Right. And that's
1: one of the places that diversity really comes in, is making sure that we don't Absolutely. just plant one species of tree in our yard or in our communities. Uh, let's get to the phones. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Bob is on the line in Bettendorf. Hi, Bob.
3: Yeah, hi. Uh, I just had a comment. Uh, you, you mentioned somebody got their lawn dried Uh, driven over here in Bettendorf, so it brought to mind. I administer uh, care as an arborist to, as a volunteer to trees here in the parks in Bettendorf. And one thing I would implore people to consider when they go to the park and they want to have a picnic, please don't park their cars on the root zones of these older trees or any tree for that matter. But the older oaks, we have those trees that are two and 300 years old. And they come in and they drive their car right over the root zone, park it there, get out, have a picnic. And pretty soon, I'm looking at a tree that has been stressed to the point where it has two line chestnut boar. They come in like the emerald ash boar, they're the first cousin, and do their thing. And, you know, the tree after 300 years or 200 years is gone because mm. somebody, innocently enough, parked their car on the root zone and stressed out
1: that tree. Bob, that is great advice. Aaron, anything you want to add to Bob's thoughts?
0: I just, I I think most folks don't realize just how um, hard that is on a tree. Um, And maybe once isn't a problem, but the problem is it's not once, especially in a public space like that. And so uh, it is, and oaks in particular are very sensitive to uh, compaction, to grade changes, Um, All of those kinds of things. And so it is it is much harder. You think these trees being these big, regal, tough organisms. I mean, it's, it's huge. How could it not be? Right. And but, you know, doing that stuff, especially over and over, which happens in public parks and those kinds of things is is stressful on those plants.
1: Bob, thanks a lot for the call. And Bettendorf does have some really big, beautiful old trees. Of course, so many of our communities do. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Cecile's on the line next in Iowa City. Hi, Cecile.
2: Hi. I have a question about geraniums. I have them in my garden every summer and bring them in in the winter and put them in a sunny window. They're doing very well now. I have a set of plants that have –
3: this is their third year in the house – should I cut them back before I set them out
2: in the spring, or should I cut them back now and if so how far, or should I just pitch them because they're worn out?
0: <laughs> you can absolutely cut them back. And there's kind of, um, usually if I want to um, kind of start, get a little bit of a head start, you can absolutely cut them back before you put them out in the spring. So most years, it's going to be the first part of March, maybe the second weekend, in, or I'm sorry, May, that you're going to be really comfortable getting them outside you know, for the season. Um, and so I I w- could see cutting them back, say, in like April, first part of April, um, you could cut them as much oh. as in half to help uh, uh, promote some branching and some new growth. That new growth will look healthier. It'll probably bloom a little bit better, too. And then you'll have something that's just ready to go once you get it out into the garden um, in the first part of May. You can also wait and do it when you put them out in the garden first thing in May. They will respond very quickly, especially if you give them a little bit of fertilizer uh, once you get them planted out there uh, to all the warm temperatures and bright light. So um, either is fine.
2: Okay, but not now. It's too soon to cut them back now.
0: It's probably a little soon now. If you do it too early, what happens is that new growth um, gets a little lanky. It's one of the reasons why we're so tempted to cut them back, right? Because they get kind of lanky inside. Um, And so if we do it too early, then we promote this new growth that's still inside um, and has the potential of still getting kind of stretched out. So um, we don't want to, we you know, doing it kind of into April um, is a little bit better because then we can get them outside and they can stay more compact.
2: Okay,
1: thank you. Thanks a lot for your call, Cecile. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Jim is on the line next. Hi, Jim. Hello. Hi, what's your question?
3: Hello. Hey, we got a driveway that's lined with uh, hard maples, both sides, alternating colors in the fall of cardinal and gold. They're pretty cut. They are very pretty. Anyhow, they're, uh, we need to prune them up to get them off the cars. I was wondering, mm-hmm. you know, any special thing I need
0: to know? Now is the time to do it. Um, you can do it any time between now and um, kind of when they first start budding out, um, which is going to be, depending on the year, sometime in early to mid-April probably. So uh, probably more like early April. So you can get in there. Um, if you have a nice sunny day uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks, uh, it's a great time to get out and get that pruning done.
3: Like the the, ten foot up, will pop off the ground, or eight foot, or the size of the branch going to make any difference to us? I I definitely don't want to harm them. They're not. They're my daughter's, not mine.
0: (laughs) Sure. So ideally, (laughs) we would remove. We wouldn't remove branches much larger than an inch in diameter. Sometimes we end up having to do that, but that would be ideal. Um, How How old are the trees?
3: Uh, About twelve years old. Okay. And yes, the lower so, branches are a lot bigger than one inch in diameter.
0: Yeah. So um, you will you can start limbing them. We want to leave lower branches on the tree as long as possible uh, because it helps contribute to kind of the, the growth taper of the, of the trunk. But if they're too low, you can do that now. Um, start limbing them up so that they're, the canopy gets to the height that you're looking for.
1: Jim, thanks a lot for the call, and uh, we are going to take a short break here. We'll be back in just a moment to answer more of your questions about the plants and trees in your life. With me, Erin Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist, and Chelsea Harbach, a plant and disease diagnostician at the Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic at Iowa State University. You can call 866-780-9100 or email talk of Iowa at iowapublicradio.org. This is Talk of Iowa. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's Horticulture Day today, and you are welcome to join the conversation with your questions about the plants and trees in your life. You can give us a call at 866-780-9100. You can also send email to Iowa at iowapublicradio.org. With me today, Chelsea Harbach, plant disease diagnostician at the Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic at Iowa State University, and Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension horticulture specialist And Chelsea, you just started at the Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic at the end of October. So you've mostly been here through the dormant season. Are you gearing up for a
2: much, much busier time at work? Oh, yes. Uh, it's, uh, we're we're kind of ready for it to get busy because we're kind of a little bit bored in the lab, but I'm sure <laughs> if you talk to us in like three months, we'll be like, slow down. Right. <laughs> we need a but break. <laughs> we're, we're, we're definitely excited for it. That, that is great. Well,
1: it's wonderful to have you on the show and welcome back to Iowa as well. Uh, let's get back to the phones. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. And Joseph uh, has a question from Urbandale that is a little outside of your comfort zone, Aaron, but Joseph, we'll see what we can do. Hi, Joseph.
3: Great. Hi. Uh, I appreciate your suggestions on getting rid of moles that are uh, having a great time in my backyard about the third year now, and they're making the mess. So far, all, <laughs> yeah. all I've tried is the bait, the bait products that you can get, and it doesn't seem to have done anything. And i'm sure they're moles
0: yeah yeah moles are hard to deal with and, and in reality you're probably dealing with mole like singular maybe two uh they they're incredibly active they can do an incredible amount of digging and so it feels like you're just infested with these little critters Uh but in reality <laughs> there's actually probably just one maybe two um there's kind of two approaches you can take with this the baits are probably my least favorite option because there's a lot of uh, potential for off target, um, problems, you know, your pets, other Mm -hmm. animals getting into it. Um, so your other two options are to just simply live with it, go out and step down on them when they come up and, and just hope that they find a new spot to hang out uh, in coming years. The other option is, um, is trapping, um, or, um, uh, you know, using a humane trap, uh, to, uh, and, and basically what you're going to do is they do have kind of like, they create runs, they create kind of their favorite kind of spaces and you can push them down and see what pops up the next day and you can see where they're most active. And then you dig a, a spot out and you set the trap in there and, and it's kind of like a mouse trap but for a mole. Um, and that because okay. usually it is just one mole, um, that usually takes care of the problem. Um, uh, so that would be Great. the other option.
3: Okay. I've been feeling kind of outnumbered. So that, that helps to know there's only one or two, um, <laughs> is, just is just walking. Sorry. No, I uh, is walking, walking on the runs and, uh, on the, on the mounds, uh, trying to put the dirt back in the hole. Is that, is that enough Will the grass just fill in or do I need to do any more to remediate? So
0: yeah, pushing down the runs, uh, will help with the grass. Um, Uh, and, and so that's one of the reasons why I mentioned it. When you get like the, the holes and the soils kind of piled up, uh, sometimes if you leave that there too long, it can kill the grass underneath. And so you would have to reseed if that happened. But if you're out there on a regular basis, usually it, it does, it does a little bit of damage to the turf, but it's not a ton of damage. And so, uh, it can be lived with.
1: Thanks a lot for the call, Joseph. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Eric's up next in Davenport. Hi, Eric.
3: Good morning. I've got a question. I've had a gentleman reseed my lawn several years ago, and I have brown patches over the winter. Uh, I've identified it as ryegrass uh, from the seed mix, I'm assuming. Uh, anywhere from one foot to four foot or sometimes bigger square areas. And I am want to know what would be the best way to get rid of the ryegrass and reseed it with a better grass. And when can I do it this spring?
0: Yeah, um, the, the ideal time would be fall. Um, If you're really itching at it, you could start this spring, but really the most effective time is actually late summer, early fall, so end of August, first part of September. Um, If it's a perennial grass, so some grass seed mixtures have a lot of annual rye in them because it germinates really quickly and it makes people feel good, but it doesn't survive the winter. Um, It could also be a perennial grass that greens up later, like a warm season grass or something like that. Um, or it's just a different texture, you don't like the way that it looks. If it's perennial, you're going to have to go out with a non-selective herbicide and apply that to the area, kill the grass um, kind of mid-summer, and then you can come in, rake out the dead grass, and sow new seed late summer, early fall. Um, That would be the best kind of time frame for that. You can also dig the grass out if you don't want to use herbicide, but you'll have to go beyond where you see the grass at least several inches to make sure that you get all of it so that would be the other option i'm not using herbicide it's a little more muscle power but um, that's certainly an option too
3: so then i would refill it and level it with uh some soil and then seed over the top
0: yep yep well it doesn't sound like
3: fun but it (laughs) doesn't look good the way it is
0: yeah, it's not fun. Uh, the perennial grasses, we, perennial grassy weeds, are the hardest weeds to deal with in a lawn because they're so similar to the grasses that we want in our lawn. So, um, it makes them kind of difficult to to take care of.
1: Thanks a lot for the call, Eric. the The payoff comes later, and then then it yes. feels like maybe yes. it, at least it was worth oh, it, it and, if not fun. And,
0: and doing it in the spring is very tempting because everything greens up in the spring and you're gung ho and ready to do it. But typically when you seed in the spring, you have much more weed problems than you do when you seed in the fall. And so if you can just tolerate it through spring and early summer and start dealing with it in mid summer, um, you'll have fewer weeds long term. So that's why we recommend that time frame.
1: All right. Thanks for the call, Eric. Next up, Teresa in Iowa City. Hi, Teresa.
3: Yes. Hello. Hi,
1: what's your question?
3: Um, I have some oak trees in the backyard, and one of them has the black mold looking on some of the branches. And I wonder what this is and what uh, needs to be done.
2: So my, my first suggestion for you would be... Um, Maybe like take some pictures, send them to us at the, um, at our plant, plant and insect diagnostic clinic email, which is just PIDC at IASTate.edu. Um, and that can help, um, help give us an idea of what kind of like sampling we might want to do to try and figure out if this is a pathogen. Um, I did have a case actually last summer when I was still working in Illinois, um, where um a woman said she had black mold growing on her um maple trees and i went and looked at them and it was actually um it wasn't actually mold it was actually just like a really dark moss mossy lichen Mm -hmm. um so you know Mm -hmm. sometimes that can be mistaken um for mold too Mm -hmm. but um definitely take some pictures feel free to send them to us um at the at our pidc email and um and we'll be in touch
3: Okay,
2: thank you. Thanks a
1: lot for the call, Teresa. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. You can send email to talk of Iowa at iowapublicradio.org. We've got a couple questions about uh, iron implants for oak trees. The first one is from Marlene in Ankeny. We have used the iron implants for our pin oak. The last time we did it was two years ago. Is spring the best time to use them?
0: Ah. Uh, You know, so pin oak in particular is very prone to iron chlorosis. It's because of our soils, um, and it's one of the reasons why we don't actually really recommend pin oak as a tree anymore. But a lot of us have some very mature and relatively healthy pin oaks. They just get a little yellowish. Spring is an okay time to do that. There There are a couple of different ways that you can apply these iron kind of chelates that are used to supplement the iron that it can't get out of the soil because of the soil pH. Um, and injection is one of them. Um, and I think spring is an okay time to do that. Uh, you can also do drenches sometimes with them, um, with, with some of these things. So that's another option. And I think that would be kind of earlier in the season as well.
1: All right. Well, actually, you've already answered then Barb's question, which was also about recommending iron treatments for pin oaks that have chlorosis. So this is, this is a yeah. pretty common problem?
0: It is a very common problem in Iowa in much of the Upper Midwest because our soils tend to be rele- a little bit higher in pH, and what that does is it, it it makes iron less available for the plant to take up. There's plenty of if you did a soil test, there'd be plenty of iron in the soil, but the pH is high enough that it actually inhibits the plant from from absorbing it out of the soil, and so we have to get iron to the plant in a different way rather than through the root system and the soil. So Um, That's where the injections become really possible. There's also sprays, but most trees are really large, so sprays aren't very practical. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The other thing to keep in mind is that most, if if the tree is otherwise healthy, this isn't an absolute. It does make the tree look a little sickly, um, but if the tree is otherwise healthy, um, you don't have to treat it with an iron supplement or an iron chelate or injection or anything like that but doing so would definitely green it up and make it look healthier and make it less likely to have issues with other things in the future because it's um, growing more healthy.
1: Let's go back to the phones. Dolores is on the line in Waukee. Hi, Dolores. Hi there. Hi. Hello. What's, yes. your, what's your question? Okay. I got me a couple of high-rise gardens,
3: and someone told me to buy a couple of bags that, earthworm castings, put it in, and then put good topsoil on top of it. What is earthworm castings?
0: (laughs) So sometimes you'll see it. uh, It's basically, I mean, it's essentially worm poop is what it is. Um, Sometimes you'll see it sold as uh, worm compost um, or vermicompost. Uh, both of those things are all pretty much the same thing. It's a a very organic um, kind of soil additive that you can um, put in to something like topsoil. Um, It behaves much like compost would behave, like if you had a compost bin, the stuff that's at the end. um, It behaves much in that same way. It helps with soil moisture retention. It has a little bit of fertility in it, just a little bit. It's not like a replacement for um, a, a, a good fertilizer program, but it has some fertility in it—nitrogen and some other things—and um, it can help kind of loosen soil because, especially topsoil in the bags, can get really compacted in containers, and so it can help with uh, with that as well.
1: Dolores, thanks a lot for the call. Now, if she, um, are there other things that are are equally as beneficial as earthworm castings, in your opinion, Aaron?
0: Well, especially in a, in a container situation, there are a lot of options. Uh, sphagnum moss, uh, coconut choir, um you could potentially use compost. But uh, one of the challenges is that soil behaves differently in a container than it does in our garden beds. And when we pull just regular soil up out of the ground or topsoil, which is the cheap stuff at the, at the garden center, that's the stuff that's like $1.50 a bag, um, rather than the $6 a bag that potting soil is, Uh, That stuff gets really compacted in a container, so we have to put something in it to aerate it. Potting soil already has all those things in it, um, but those other things that I mentioned are things that you could potentially add to help with that in a container.
1: All right. Dolores, thanks a lot for the call. Eric is up next in Des Moines. Hi, Eric.
3: Hello.
1: Hi. What's your question?
3: Well, it was about pruning my white pines. They're uh, fairly tall, and the lower branches are always slapping me in the face when I'm trying to mow. And uh, <laughs> I've heard that you can trim up to 10 or 20% of a, of a tree. And is it okay? Is the same timeline for, like, what you said earlier, into before the candles come out, I guess.
0: Yes. So if you're removing branches, this is the time of year to do it. Um, If if you're shearing, like if you have like a mugo pine or something like that, and you're shearing it into a shape like a shrub, um, you would do that after the candles come out. But if you're removing branches, uh, which is what it sounds like you're doing here, uh, now is a great time to do that. Um, Ideally, you would take off as little as possible. Um, When we have younger trees, we always aim for no more than a third um, of the total volume. More like a quarter would be better. For a more mature tree... You know, that's a lot of branches, so we don't usually get that close to it. Um, So um, remove uh, as little as you need to, um, ideally, but uh, this time of year is the time to do it.
1: Eric, thanks a lot for the call. Here's a question from Tom in Winterset. We had a small tornado hit a tree planting in December of 2021. Lots of cleanup. Still some cleanup left to do. Could you suggest some replacement pine species for northwestern Iowa? Also native shrubs for a rocky, gravelly hill facing mostly north.
3: Hmm.
0: Well, um pine or evergreen species, um there's not a big list that does well in Iowa. White pine would probably be on there um as an option. And and it's trickier um, even would...
1: in northwest Iowa than it is yes. in eastern Iowa, right?
0: Yes, because most of the evergreens, most of the conifers, um don't love our really hot summers. They also don't love our heavy organic soils. So uh, when you think about where many of these trees are native, it's rocky mountainsides, right? Where they're just not, this isn't the soil type they're used to either. Um, in terms of uh, evergreen uh, that you could use, uh, eastern white pine, um, uh, firs like a con color fir or a white fir would be okay. Um, this one's controversial because a lot of folks don't like the way it looks, but especially if it's a windbreak wind planting, um, uh, Eastern red cedar is certainly an option. That's native to all of the state. It's a little scrubby looking. It's a little brown in the winter, but uh, especially in a windbreak situation, it's a good solid evergreen um, that grows actually quite well. So um, that would be my list.
1: All right. And um, native shrubs for a rocky, Mm gravelly hill facing mostly north?
0: Yeah. So... um, This situation, there are some uh, kind of shrub uh, junipers that would probably do well in that situation um, if you're looking for evergreen. Um, Other shrubs, um, let's see, uh, for relatively dry areas, um, uh, many of the viburnums would do fine in that situation. Um, Red twig dog would probably do fine in that situation. Um, Sumac is a possibility too. Most of these plants um, kind of like moist, well drained soils, uh, but would tolerate those, that kind of situation without much problem.
1: All right. Well, thanks a lot for the call, Tom. And we are out of time. Aaron Style, thank you so much.
0: You're
2: welcome.
1: And Chelsea Harbach, thank you.
2: Thank you, Charity.
1: Erin Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. Chelsea Harbach, Plant Disease Diagnostician at the Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic at Iowa State University. And I want to mention that on Wednesday, you heard about Greg Brown's retirement concerts taking place last night and tonight. We were going to air the concert live last night, but weather interfered. You can hear it tonight on IPR Studio One.